sermon on the mount. He did a sermon on the mount. But the recorded version we have is a compilation of, of teaching. Jesus taught for three years. We don't have the record, written record of all of his teachings. And so they intentionally put it together in a book form to encapsulate these are the teachings. And this is, this is one of his primary <clears throat> discourses. And it begins, the book of Matthew begins with uh, the teachings. So these are like, this is the, <clears throat> uh, the, the main uh, sermon that sets the tone for Jesus' ministry. Well, the first section, or the last section that we, we dealt with, ch- chapter 5, 21 through 48, um, had been mainly dealing with the teachings of the scribes. And remember, we went through a series, you've heard that it was said of old, but I say unto you. Well, we f- finished that section, and this section, beginning in ch- chapter 6, deals with practices, particularly, Erdman points out, that these are the practices of the Pharisees. So Jesus kind of changes um, his focus from ethical questions or teaching the ideas of, of ideas or ethics to practices, uh, actual activities. And, you know, we often say that Christianity is not a religion. You know, we say it's not a religion, right? It's a relationship. How many say that? It's actually a religion. I have this friend who's, who's an atheist, and he gets so frustrated when he hears that or sees me or someone else post it on Facebook. He's like, what are you talking about? It makes absolutely no sense to someone who's not a Christian to say that Christianity is not a religion. You know? You, do you understand why? Because it is a religion. <laughs> you know, it is a religion. Uh, what we mean by that, you know, it, expe- it expresses the truth, but it isn't the, it's, it's not the whole truth. And the reason I bring this out is that we have to be careful how we use that terminology, especially around unchurched people. Because if you're talking about someone who was raised in a, in a Christian uh, uh, surrounding but doesn't have genuine faith, and you tell them, hey, you can't just rest on the, on the religious aspect. of that. That's a valid statement. But if you're talking to the normal person in our culture today who's had no connection whatsoever with, with church or the Bible or Christianity, almost everyone in our day is at least one. Most people are two generations removed from any active involvement in Christianity. To tell them Christianity is not just a religion, it's a relationship that it just doesn't mean anything. It, what, do, does that make any sense? Cause, because they're not caught up in a religious worldview. They don't have a religion. <laughs> We're not trying to, to convince, lead them out of a religiosity into a relationship. They don't have a religion. They actually need a religion. <laughs> okay, what, what I mean by that a little bit more. What we mean by that is Christianity is void if it's only empty ritual or practices apart from real relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that's true. Right? And so how we communicate what Christianity has to include the fact that it's, it's dependent on a relationship. It's not just an empty religion. But we make a mistake or we err if we think that we can do without the religious aspects of Christianity. In other words, Christianity is filled with religious things. Before I was a Christian, I didn't go to church. Church is actually a, a religious activity. It really is. All right? <laughs> like it or not. There's nothing wrong with religion. 
is only bad if, if, you, if you think that through outward practices you can actually make it to heaven or gain any, any, any uh, uh, right, uh, form of righteousness with God. Just those outward practices themselves are empty. But it is when they are infused in a real relationship with, with the Lord through faith in Jesus Christ that they become meaningful. And so going to church, I never read my Bible regularly before I was a Christian. I didn't. All the different things of Christianity are very, very important. And so, if, and this is actually an error that is really rampant in, in Western Christianity today. Because what's happened is we've so reacted to this error of people relying in, on religion without relationship and so emphasizing that Christianity is about relationship and not religion, that we've actually said, let's just get rid of all the religiosity of Christianity to the point where now there's a whole group, there's a whole stream within Christianity that says anything that's religious is bad. So going to church is bad. I don't know if you know this, but there's a lot of Christians, especially in America, Hundreds of thousands of them that have, I've talked to them, they've given up on the idea of church. I'm like, wow, geez, Jesus calls it the church's bride. Jesus is coming back for the church, and if you've given up on the church, that means you're not going to be there when Jesus shows up. Have you thought about that? What are they actually saying? You see? It sounds good, but when you dig down deeper, <clears throat> there's, there's something ugly underneath it. So, <clears throat> Jesus does not condemn or do away with the religious acts or activities, but rather challenges the, the why and how these acts are done. And so that's what this next uh, section kind of delves into. And, and verse 1, <clears throat> I'm going to read it from three different translations. It says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. I really like the NIV here because the way that it, it emphasizes, it even puts in the um, hyphens, acts of righteousness. Because that's really what Jesus is focusing on. Acts of righteousness. The whole next section is about acts of righteousness. Uh, and the message, it says this, be careful, be especially careful when you are trying to be good. Remember that the previous whole chapter described what righteousness looked like. And, 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 and kingdom righteousness. We've been talking about that for uh, uh, over a month, a couple of months. The whole chapter 5 was describing act righteous, what righteousness is. And now he's talking about when you start doing these acts of righteousness, be careful how you implement them. So be especially careful when you're trying to be good or live righteous so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but God who made you won't be applauding. Uh, message in its uh, particularly poignant way of putting it across. The ESV, uh, um, English Standard Version, which actually is the one I generally do my Bible reading in now. I really like it. I've been converted. Uh, <clears throat> it says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Uh, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. All right, so those uh, three different versions of verse 1. Verse 1 is actually a section heading. Again, part of this study is to kind of give you tips on how to interpret Scripture, how to read the Bible and get more out of it. And, you, and when you look at this slowly and you kind of 
separate it, you'll see that um, there was a chapter heading, I pointed out a few of them earlier in this message, six one. This is actually a, a, a heading of a subsection. And it's not put that way in the print, but Matthew intended it this way. And Jesus, as he's talking, he's starting out uh, giving us this idea that he's going to expound on. So it introduces an idea that Jesus elaborates on and gives specific examples over the, the rest of chapter 6 and the next uh, few verses. Erdman's puts it this way. Uh, verse 2 through 4 um, deals with charitable dealing. Uh, so this is an introduction. Verse 1 is the introduction and then leads to verses 2 through 4, which deal with charitable giving, the obligation towards men. And we're going to talk about that this morning. And then verses 5 through 15 deal with prayer, the obligation towards God, kind of a Godward obligation. And then verses 16 through 18 deal with fasting, and that is the obligation towards oneself. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, and we'll be talking about fasting in, in a few weeks or months. We'll see how when, when we get there. <laughs> so charitable giving, prayer and fasting, good to know that when Jesus said this, these weren't just random things that Jesus picked out. They were, and they still are in Judaism, the most prominent practical uh, retirement requirement of personal piety. Say that five times quickly. (laughs) The most prominent practical requirements of personal piety. In mainstream Judaism. So these were the religious activities that were most prominent uh, in in, uh, in Jesus' day. And so he addresses how and why you do these religious activities uh, of personal piety. And he's teaching us, teaching uh, uh, his disciples, well, this is what those religious activities will look like in the kingdom. When you're following me, when you're my disciples, uh, this is how they should look like. It showed Erdman's uh, Bible commentary uh, on this verse says, it shows that the motive is what counts in religious observance as well as in morals. A previous section dealt with our morals, our ethics, what was right and wrong, what we believe to be right and wrong. And the motives is what's important. The heart condition is what's important in, in morals and in ethics, but it's also what's important in our religious observation, whatever we happen to be doing. Uh, it demonstrates that these must be undertaken <clears throat> in the spirit of sonship. And I was surprised to find that in Erdman's. Uh, that they, they caught on to this idea that it really is about sonship. And so we're going to talk about how that applies. The spirit of sonship is essential in order for us to um, be disciples living Kingdom righteousness, expressing it through religious activities. But those religious activities must come out of a spirit of sonship. Uh, This truth applies not only to charitable giving, because verse 1 applies to all all acts of righteousness. And it's the same word righteousness that he used all through chapter 5 as he's describing righteousness. Um, it, uh, it applies not only to charitable giving, prayer, and fasting, but to all religious practices in the kingdom. And this I just put down a list of things that we do. Well, a Christian's uh, religious activities, which would be, you know, we just sang 30 minutes, 35 minutes of Christian songs. You know, that's a religious activity. When you go to a, a business meeting, you generally don't stand up and sing out loud with a group of people you don't know. 
right? <laughs> what if you went to the movie theater, and before they showed the movie, some guys came out with a band and sang songs you didn't know the words to for 30 minutes? And everybody was excited, and you didn't know what was going on. All right? So it's not religious to you because you're used to it. But a, a, a non-believer, an unchurched person comes in. It's like that's one of the most hard, the most difficult things for unchurched people to deal with. It's like, why are they standing and singing songs? And what does that mean? And once they experience the presence of God through worship, well, then it's a very meaningful thing. You know. But just when I was a kid, we went to a, a church and we we'd stand up and sing a song, sit down. He'd say something. We'd stand up, sing another song, and sit down. So it didn't mean anything to me. You know? But now I sing those same songs as a spirit-filled believer. Even in a church like that, I'm like, uh, Almighty Fortress is our God. Oh, man, I love that song, right? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so, uh, because now I have the spirit of sonship. <laughs> right. So the improper motive that Jesus uh, talks about is to be seen by others. That's, that's a motive, that we're doing it to be seen. Uh, message says a performance. Now, it doesn't mean that it can't be seen. <laughs> because remember just a few uh, verses earlier, just a short few minutes earlier, if you were listening to Jesus, he said in, in chapter 5, 16, he says, Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, if they don't see your good works and they don't know that you're doing them as as disciples to bring glory to the Father and to lift up the name of Jesus, then they're not going to glorify our Father in heaven. Does that make sense? So it's not like good works without anybody knowing we're Christians, right? Because then they would never glorify the Father in heaven. It's not that we hide our good works. It's just that we don't do it to be seen. He's talking about the motive, right? Uh, <clears throat> being seen isn't the reason that we do it. The proper motive is a reward from our Father who is in heaven, or the spirit of sonship. I think that's, that's the idea that uh, Erdman's uh, keyed into and it put in the, the words the spirit of sonship in their commentary, that we're doing it out of the expectation of a reward, a blessing, something coming from our Father in heaven. And so the motivation needs to be a deep awareness of our personal relationship with God as his son and his daughter. That bottom line has to be the motivation for everything we do. And Jesus delves down deep uh, into the issue of our identity. Okay? Uh, our religious practices, our charitable deeds, uh, need to flow out of who we see ourselves as. Uh, and that's really all of our acts flow from that. But Jesus is, is zeroing in on that, that that is the issue. What we do, uh, uh, we do what we do for one reason. This, this is what Jesus says it ought to be. We, we, do, we should do what we do for one reason only, and that, in that it displays who we are. Okay, sons and daughters. It's just who I am as a son of God, to live this way. It's, it's just who I am as a daughter to live this way. So our acts, and I talked about righteousness and the, and the, the whole idea of, of living free from sin last week a little bit, 
But all of our acts of righteousness display and, and our displays are to display His nature. You know, it's His righteousness in and through us, not our own righteousness. We're tapping in to God within in order to live uh, God's character in whatever uh, circumstance that we happen to be. Does that make sense? Okay, moving on. Verse 2. It says, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue, and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have, their receive, they have received their reward in full. So <clears throat> a little bit of thing here, again, to, just to let you uh, kind of understand how to d- interpret Scripture. You can, it's very easy. I can tell you to do this on a, a computer program. It's a free computer program, eSword, or you can buy any number of them. Uh, the, the actual word give to the needy is not in the Greek in verse 2. Um, <clears throat> Uh, it's, but it is implied, and so it's a proper uh, translation. It's one way you can translate the verse by the word in verse 4. I say that for a purpose. We'll, we'll, you'll understand as we put it all together. Um, so really, uh, it applies to all of our acts of righteousness. Okay. So Jesus says, when you do acts of righteousness, don't do them to be seen. He says, when you do, when you do... Uh, don't announce it with trumpets like the hypocrites do on the streets to be honored by men. Okay, Verse 1, it says, Do righteousness not to be seen, but for a reward from heaven. That's just the, the, the Greek words translated, almost a literal translation. Verse 2 is, So when you do, don't announce it. Now the translators, that doesn't make a lot of sense, so they, they fill in what's what's brought in in verse, the application that's brought in verse 4. But what I'm pointing out is that all of our works of righteousness should not be done to be seen, not just charitable giving. And I actually prefer the translation, certainly do! Right? That's the one way that Greek word could be translated. Certainly do! In other words, when he's talking about acts of righteousness, do them! Just not to be seen. Does that make sense? You know, we're supposed to be doing uh, and not, not avoid doing them out of fear. So, and then the verse goes on to, to give a negative example of hypocrites who uh, do them to be seen. And it's interesting that the word hypocrite literally means actor. Okay? They're actors. Those who, they're doing it simply as a performance. You know, they know that this is what they're supposed to do, so they're doing it just out of performance. And Jesus says, if that's our motivation, then, uh, you know, that's all you're going to get. Whatever is done simply to gain honor or praise from others, you'll get nothing else from God. Uh, And that should never be our motivation. I actually think that this is kind of a tricky uh, thing to apply in our day. Because basically within Christianity, within church culture, we, we almost over emphasize hiding uh, acts of righteousness. We don't make a big deal. I think we kind of learned that, and it's probably a good thing. But Jesus had a clear picture to point to of people parading themselves doing acts of righteousness. And I really can't think of a a good, clear picture of it, but it's still applicable in our day. And and so... uh, (coughs) 
yeah, I don't think that's that bad. It's, <clears throat> um, you know, you might be able to find a Christian uh, ministry, a TV evangelist that overdoes it. You know, they, they may have questionable practices. Um, but generally, we don't see people parading good works in our culture. Nevertheless, how I apply this uh, is that we must question our motives and ensure uh, that we are doing all that we do, however religious or secular. All right? Because there isn't a division between secular and religious, sacred and secular. It's just your life. <laughs> it's your life. And so, you know, Jesus wasn't, Jesus wasn't on the job certain days, and then he, had, and then he wasn't the Savior, you know, and, and could just do whatever he wanted, you know. No, it was who he was. And we're called to follow Jesus, right? We're to be Jesus followers. That's what Christians are. So whatever we do, we're making sure that it comes from a place of sonship and not orphan thinking. And orphan thinking is uh, someone who strives to find their identity because they are disconnected from their, 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 their source, from, from either their natural parents or from their spiritual uh, father. But we're to be connected with the father in intimate relationship, and all that we do should flow out of that relationship. That's what it means to be uh, flowing out of sonship. So we need to allow the Holy Spirit to penetrate. How do we apply this? Allow the Holy Spirit to penetrate deeply. You know, why do we do what we do? Why do we act the way we act? And this is actually something that I actually uh, came across, not in a Bible study, but reading business magazines <coughs> on, you know, why do you post something on Facebook? Ask yourself, and the article is actually about, you know, uh, uh, had to do with developing an online presence and all this, <laughs> but it just said, you know, what is your motivation for posting uh, something on Facebook or on Tumblr or on Twitter or on any other thing? Why are you actually doing it? Or why do you tell people a particular thing about you? What's the motivation in your heart? Is it to make other people like you? I mean, is that really... Are you, are you trying to manipulate the system so that people like you? To make, to make them think you're cool? To make them think you're spiritual? Maybe to make them think you're not too spiritual? You know, that you're real? Yeah. Or is it merely a reflection of who you are? You see the difference? This is just who I am. You know, sometimes I, I start to write and think, I'm like, you know what? The real reason I'm putting that down is just to drop a name. You know? I'm like, that's that just doesn't feel right, and so I'm just not going to say that because I, qu I question my motive. What's the? Why am I saying this? Is this is something I want to share so my friends can know what I'm doing, and I can they can participate in it, or something I have to share that I think is valuable. Then that's good. But if it's if there's some twisted kind of motivation in that, then it may not be healthy, and it may want may want to wait on it and pray it through. Verse 3, but when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Um, so verse 3 says, when you do, again, give to the needy is implied. So Jesus is emphasizing when you do, when you do what? Acts of righteousness. When you're doing these things, uh, so it applies to all of our righteousness, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And this is important. This means that it's instinctual. You know, it's an instinct. It's, it's on the level of habit. When, think of it. When does your left hand not know what your right hand is doing something? When it's just a, 
so coarse of matter, you know, just, just something that you do so routinely that you don't even have to think about it. All right? That's what Jesus is saying, that our acts of righteousness are to be habitual. All right? This is to be just instinct. Um, we do righteousness not because we're supposed to or even because it's right. You know, if you have to... And that's one level. Uh, when, you, when you learn, oh, this is the right thing to do. I need to learn how to do it the right way. This is what I need to do and not do that because that's what I used to do when I was be, not a, say, a relationship with the Father. And so this is what, but eventually, and actually pretty quickly, if your nature has been transformed through relationship with Jesus, that, that's just what you do because that's what you do. That's who you are. So you're not following some list of regulations. You're not doing it just because it's right. You're doing it because that's who you are. All right? It's because it's how you behave as a new creation. It's really important to understand Jesus is teaching how new creation Christians live, how to live in the kingdom. Kingdom righteousness is an expression of our spiritual DNA. It's acting out our godly heredity. Does that make sense? It's just tuning in. Jesus said you are, you know, to be born again. Unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, what does born again mean? It means being born with a new genetic, a spiritual genetic code. The genetic code of our Father. Alright? That we do things because it reflects His character. <clears throat> it occurs when our nature is renewed through faith and becomes so in tune and in unity with our, uh, with, with our Heavenly Father's nature that we do righteousness without even thinking of it. Why? Because we study what the right thing to do is and make sure we do the right thing because if we do the wrong thing, we'll get in trouble. No! That's missing the point altogether. But that we study our Father and we get so in love and in relationship and in unity with Jesus and with our Father so that when we have to do something, we just do it the way He does it because we've learned it from Him. Does that make sense? So, good. so it takes, it's a total different perspective on what you do, why you do, and how you do it. So that your giving may be in secret, verse 4, that your Father who sees what is done will reward you. Okay, here the word giving is actually used, and it's a Greek word that refers to charitable giving. Most often it's translated alms. It doesn't apply only to alms. Alms is a particular word that means giving to the poor. All right, and so actually in our, in our envelope, I think we have alms category. And it always kind of surprises me. A lot of people say, what, what is alms anyway? But... Um, Alms is giving to the poor, but this word actually means charitable giving. And so it refers to that, but it refers to all charitable giving, whether it be your tithes, our offerings, our alms, missions, Red Cross, whatever you may do to to be charitable. Alms giving was a religious duty. It wasn't just a philanthropic option in Judaism, uh, all right? It was a duty. It was part of the expectation of being a, a believer in, under the Old Covenant. And it actually is part of the expectation of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. All right? Uh, but in Judaism, it was one of the main things. And actually, by this time, uh, there was quite a, uh, an organized uh, uh, relief system based on alms that were given 
Um, it was impressively well organized. Uh, and Jesus expected his disciples to give generously but not conspicuously. That's France's uh, take on that verse. So we're, he was saying, you know, giving of alms and charitable giving is good. It's just how that you do it that the Pharisees were getting it wrong and the motive that they were doing it was wrong. <clears throat> I wanted to point out as we read through this portion that this is the third time in these just these these four verses that the word reward is used. Okay? Jesus is actually emphasizing the idea of reward. And here's another little tip. When it comes to reading your Bible or studying your Bible, which is different than reading your Bible, studying is when you're trying to dig more out of it. Look for repetition. When there's a repetition of an idea or a word, it's probably there on purpose. God actually kind of is a good author. (laughs) And so if you see something two or three times, you go, well, maybe this is a point here. And there is a point that Jesus is emphasizing. There's a reward system, and it's important to keep that in mind as you're living out what? Your acts of righteousness, your religious obligations. It says you will have, the first two times, you will have no reward. It was a negative example. And verse 2, it says they have received their reward. And that was actually a different Greek word. And it meant they, they, they'll get their payment. They'll get their wages. All right. But then Jesus, in this verse, says the same idea. But I think for emphasis, he chooses a little different meaning. Uh, still translated reward, but it means to deliver or, or, or to recompense or to give back or to restore. So the idea here is that when your motive is right, and your actions flow out of kingdom righteousness, God will deliver. He's emphasizing. If you do it the wrong motives, you're, not, you're going to get a, a lousy reward. All you're going to get is the attention of men. But if you do it with the right motives, okay, and, 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 and as an action flowing out of kingdom righteousness, man, God is going to be your, your rewarder. And you can have confidence that God is going to... Uh, reward you out of his abundance all right giving becomes an expression charitable giving jesus is talking about money right here and he links it directly with our reward so what you give and how you give and why you give are just as important the how and why are just as important as the what and he says that <clears throat> giving becomes an expression of our godly heredity, okay, our inheritance, our di- spiritual DNA. We're givers because we inherited that trait from our Father in heaven. You should, Christians should be the most generous people on the planet. Why? Because God just gives so abundantly. And when we tune in to that nature of Christ, uh, we, will, we will learn how to be generous in every way, whether it be giving to the poor, giving to the church, uh, giving to special offerings, giving to other needs. We'll find ways. And as we give, we see that we tap into God's character and we can never run out of his resources. Robertson's word picture, another resource that kind of gives you some clues to some of these words, says um, the word with your father literally means beside your father or standing by his side as he looks at it. So this idea, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you, or your reward is with your father. And there, so when it uses the term with your father, there's an implied intimacy 
both in our reward and our actions. In other words, it's something that you do with your father. The words with your father, uh, as it, uh, uh, it means like standing beside him. So picture that, that as you give, you're giving like you're, you're in your daddy's arms. And the reward's going to come. The, the reward is actually with your father. It's in his presence. Does that make sense? That God has your reward with him just waiting to deliver it to you. He's excited about the present he's going to be able to give you because you're his son and you're imitating his character. And also remember that in heaven, your reward in heaven, everybody automatically thinks that in order to get that, we have to die. That's not what it means. All right? In heaven means with God, not after death. All right? So your reward in heaven, in heavenly places, yes, it will affect your heavenly uh, and your eternal reward and destination uh, because there are rewards in the afterlife, but it affects your relationship with God right now. Okay? It's not just something we receive in the resurrection and in heaven. It actually affects how we experience and the level of, ex- of heavenly experience that we have right now. Think about it. Our actions and the motives uh, affect our intimacy with our Father and it influences the measure of heaven we experience now. Heaven is the realm of God's glory. It's the realm of God's power and God's presence. And so if we are operating in the right motives and doing the right acts, this is how we get heaven on earth today. This is how you're going to see supernatural miracles happen in your daily life. This is how you're going to see breakthrough in your daily life. It's by cooperating with God. So God's heavenly presence is manifest right here, right now. Christianity is not a religion that's just about barely hanging on until you're dead in hopes of having something in the future. It's about ushering in kingdom righteousness now so that we can live in God's power and glory and change our community, change our lives, the lives of people that we love, change the city, our nation, and our generation. How do you do that? Jesus says by doing these religious acts with the right motive and having an intimate relationship, uh, that enables you to experience uh, reward with God in heaven, in heavenly realms. So it affects not only our earthly uh, uh, attributes, but our heavenly attributes. Okay, I've gone over the level of our awareness of our Father's presence and power in our lives, according to this verse, is directly affected by our acts of righteousness and our charitable giving. Boom. That's uh, what kingdom living is all about. And I'm done.